Let's record a podcast, Ken said. So here we are to record a podcast. There's jazz news to talk about in the form of basketball games, in the form of wins, actually, which is, um, you know, not all that common lately. And in the form of trades, the jazz snuck a deal while the rest of the NBA is waiting around for the trade season to begin in earnest with uh, the December 15th date when newly signed players, when most newly signed players, I should say, can be traded. Uh, the Jazz went ahead and stealthily dealt for a shooter, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about jazz basketball and much more. I'm Dan Clayton. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. The guy over there has the same last name as me, different first name, though. Ken Clayton is a Salt City Hoops writer, podcaster, and a longtime knower of all things jazz. Ken, how's it going? Pretty good. Am I not also the chief cook and bottle washer? If you that position is currently open, so if you want okay. that, that is that is yours. Um, so yeah, the Jazz. I, I, you know, it felt in the locker room because um, I was at that particular game. Um, it felt as though a winning, a, a losing streak had just ended in Brooklyn last night, uh, and yet it really was just a one game losing streak. It was just the fact that they had kind of played so poorly over a stretch of time, losing six of eight, um, that, you know, getting back on track felt, felt significant in, in that jazz locker room. Uh, what did you, we, we won't spend a lot of time on the game. We'll mostly talk Corver and Burks in this podcast, but, uh, your impressions on jazz nets. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was nice to see him break through. There were still some nervous moments, for a while there, it was reminding me of last year's Jazz Nets game uh, that we attended and that uh, remains my only road loss at a Jazz game. Um, but uh, Stinking they, Nets. They, 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 yeah, I know, I know. I, I curse them when I when I uh, keep piling up all the other wins and I have that one night in Brooklyn to thank for a 6-1 and one record instead of a 7-0. and oh. uh, But no, it was, a, it was good to see him in that fourth quarter really kind of take a little control of the game. Um, you know, not that it wasn't, I mean, there was still some doubt, you know, three, four minutes left. Um, it was close enough for it to, to become a game again. But, I mean, they, they took control. They, they did some good things. Mr. Donovan Mitchell uh, kind of put his stamp on the game, which we haven't seen as often as we probably thought we would at the beginning of the season. Uh, right. Or, you know. So for one night, things looked a little more like we expected them to look. Well, I shouldn't say for one night. Maybe for a quarter, things looked a little more like we expected them to. Yeah, it, it was it was closer than a 101-91 outcome yeah, indicates. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but the fact that the Jazz were down 11, they were down 78-67 with about a minute to go in the third quarter when Spencer Dinwiddie hit a big three. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, who the Jazz had a lot of problems guarding in that third quarter, and, um, right. and you know, when you're watching a team and covering a team that has lost six of eight, you kind of go, oh, here they go again. It's off the rails, and this one's going to go go the other way. Um, and then, you know, for them to turn it around, I thought was, was actually kind of, kind of impressive for a team that we're not sure about their mental state from the outside looking in. Right. And, and for, you know, I guess that for a minute there, it was, you know, you just felt like, oh, no, they're going to give this one up again. And, and we joked on the weekend that uh, I should come out for the Brooklyn game to get a win this time. And for a minute, I was thinking, well, I'm glad I didn't go out to Brooklyn and get another loss. But I was I was wrong. They came through this time without me. Well, and let's just stop for a minute here and give ourselves credit where credit is due. 
<laughs> because in the last nine games, in the last nearly month of basketball, well, three three plus weeks of basketball, the Utah Jazz have not won a basketball game without one or both Claytons present. That's true. That's yeah. true. So Ken and I um, road tripped to Boston with our wives and uh, and caught the game there without our wives. <laughs> so, sorry, we they they went tickets, tickets were way too expensive to take them. Yeah, um, they, they I think they felt like they got an okay end of that deal too because they went and had expensive seafood. Um, then we we met in Sacramento over Thanksgiving weekend. I was there to visit. My wife's family, Ken was there because that's close to his because half of the you country. And the jazz, well, and, you, and because you and the Jazz were there in the same city. So. Yeah. And then I got back to Brooklyn just in time to uh, to go cover the game for Salt City Hoops. So, you know, that's that's 3-0 oh when one or both of the Claytons attends a Jazz game in the last nine games. 0-6 oh when they don't. Um, so, you know. I'm just I'm not, saying. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying. Uh, but anyway, when they haven't been winning and losing basketball games, the other thing they've been doing that we wanted to get together and talk about is they've been uh, bringing fan favorites back to the franchise. Um, so last night, we're recording this on Thursday. Um, and on Wednesday evening, like literally less than an hour, I guess about an hour before Jazz Nets, um, Alec Burks was out on the court at Barclays Center shooting around getting ready for the game. The Jazz players were in the locker room. Someone came and got Alec and said, hey, grab your bags. It's time to go to Cleveland. And um, I, w- I was literally in the locker room when this news broke. And um, I think by that point, the players knew. Um, so players weren't caught off guard by it. But, um, but at the same time, it, it was pretty fresh and, and they... <clears throat> I think it had been made clear to players right before media of it, pregame media availability. But at any rate, the the bottom line is Alec Burks, a Jazz second round pick in 2020, a Washington Wizards second round pick in 2021 that the Jazz owned because of the Trey Burke trade. Those three assets going to Cleveland. Kyle Korver coming back to the Utah Jazz. He played uh, parts of three seasons for the Jazz um, from 2007 to 2010. And, uh, and that's... And that's big news for a team that has been um, off to a shaky start from three-point land. Yeah, off to a shaky start for sure. The the refrain we've we've heard, or and I shouldn't say refrain, is it's come from the Jazz and it's the official uh, stance. But the last few days, we've seen a lot of talk about how the Jazz are creating the most open shots from three, and yet shooting not most is it third. Do you recall the stat I'm talking about? Yeah, I was I was just thinking about that. I'm looking it up on, on okay. cleaning the glass because they exclude um, garbage time attempts, but it's it's something like that. It's like third, yeah. fourth, or fifth most open threes attempted yeah. so, as a percentage of total attempts. Yeah. Right. So so whatever the number is, they do a very good job, or it seems that they do a very good job of creating these open threes, and yet they do have been doing a very poor job of actually putting the ball in the round-shaped thing with a net hanging under it. Yeah. Uh, so it's been it's been tough, and there, and there are a lot of those out there who have asked: Are the Jazz really creating those open shots, or are the opponents letting the guys they want have those open shots? And that's probably a a 
valid question in some cases. Well, so I got a quote from Favors on that um, last night in Brooklyn. He said, um, and I think I think the gist that that a lot of people had is like, yeah, look, we understand that they'd rather have Ricky Rubio and Dante Exum shooting open threes than Joe Ingles, but also some of those guys are shooting worse than even their reputation, right? So, uh, the, right. so the fact that there's going to be some progression to the mean at some point, even without adding Kyle Korver to the mix. But the, here's what Fave said. He said, I think guys are just missing shots right now. I mean, we're not a terrible three-point shooting team. Guys are just missing shots that they normally make. So that's something we can definitely improve on, and Kyle Korver can help with that. Yeah. No, and absolutely. He should he should be able to every stat about him his entire career, including recently, even though he is, we haven't mentioned yet, 37 years old, uh, says that he could still shoot that three ball. There are probably a few other things he can't do as well as he as he could before. Yeah. But um, he should be able to still shoot the long-range shot um, throughout the duration of this contract, which is either the remainder of this season or that plus one season depending on some decisions the Jazz will have to make, but not until the next offseason. And, and I want to get to that, because I, I think you and I, just from what I've seen you say out on the World Wide Web, um, I think you and I may have differing opinions on that, by the way. But So we'll get, we'll get to that real quick. I just wanted to okay. go back and give you your answer. Um, oh, you know what? Never mind. I'm not looking at... I'm not looking at open or wide open. What I'm looking at is the frequency of, of threes by range. So the Jazz take the third highest percentage of their, sh- of their shots come on corner threes. The third mm-hmm. lowest percentage of their corner threes go into the basket. Got it. Um, which is kind of an important thing in the game of basketball. Right. Turns out that's why they give you points. Yes. Yes. Um, I don't know. So, so back to Corver. Um, you know, he is 37, and uh, I, I was just talking to someone tonight who, um, for reasons passing understanding, watches a lot of Cleveland Cavaliers games, and um, and he basically was like, "Look, I don't know, man, because I watch Ka- I watch the Cavs play, and Kyle Corver can barely move these days," and and I get that. At the same time, then someone else chimed in and said, yeah, but he'll move better when he's on a good team because, you know, there's just something that that happens to guys when when suddenly there's a reason to be making that cut again or a reason to be fighting through that screen or whatever. Um, You know, Kyle Korver has played well in in recent days and weeks and months. He, um, in fact, in his last game for the Cavaliers, he went seven for 12 from the field six for nine from three and scored 22 points in 22 minutes. And I don't even think the Jazz need that from him. I mean, what do you, what do you envision Corver's role is going to be, you know, particularly in the immediate term, but even as the season goes on? Well, my first reaction when I, uh, when I heard about the trade was Alec Brooks has been a guy who's been playing about 15, 16 minutes a game, 15.8. Yep. Uh, is where it's right now. I, I think that's the role they're looking to fill because I don't know that I expect that Kyle Corver is going to take any minutes from either Donovan Mitchell or if he's going to play some two. I think he's probably going to play more three, and I'm, I don't know that he takes any minutes from Joe Ingles. Um, 
unless you go to a lineup where you get all three of those on the, on the court at the same time, which, which has some advantages, again, if Kyle Corver can move and do other things and, and whatever. Um, I, I just don't see him going much over that, maybe up to 18 or 20 when he, you know, if, if things are going well. But I just don't think that the plan is to have him come in and, and be, a, be a 25 or and certainly not any, you know, 30-minute guy, a, a game guy. I, I think that would probably be the wrong way to go. I think they're bringing him in partly for the spacing on the floor and that, and I think partly, and we've already heard two or three players mention this in interviews, partly as a, as a mentor, maybe an on-the-floor coach type guy, uh, I think Dante Exum and I can't remember who the other one or two were mentioned. I'd love to work with him on my shot yeah. because they know he's got the reputation of a guy who has such a clean stroke and and does and not just the, not just the shooting stroke, but just everything he does on the court to get open and square to the basket and whatever he does in his balance. Um, I mean, he's a guy who is literally probably one of the greatest shooters in NBA history. Um, and up there, yeah. At least in the last yeah, you know, certainly in recent NBA history, 20 years or so, uh, you know, those guys should be able to learn something. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, just look at his release, his his process, how he how he catches the ball shot ready, how quick he goes up, how he uses his lower body. Um, it looks, and I, and I, you know, everybody that listens to this podcast knows that I'm a Dante Exum believer still, but it looks completely different from Dante Exum's shot which is yeah. slow and deliberate and he has this wide base and it looks, you know, it looks like he's trying to, I don't know, let a toddler crawl through his legs while he shoots or something. And, and um, so just to, you know, I do think that there's an aspect of, you know, you can't get Chip England, the famous San Antonio Spurs shot doctor, but you can get a guy who, um, <clears throat> who, you know, basically has, has written the book and, and you know dropped the clinic videos himself um so i do think there's an aspect to that I, I but i also don't think they made this trade just to get a you know a shooting coach i i think no. you know he's gonna he's gonna play and he's gonna help the second unit yeah no so i just pulled up uh i mentioned brooks has been playing 15.8 corver has been playing 15.7 minutes yes. So the Rose with their prior teams have been of a similar size as far as minutes on the court. Uh, so the question is, um, you know, maybe Corver has an opportunity to grow that a little bit, and maybe maybe Burks has an opportunity to grow that even more. But we probably should stick to the Corver topic for a minute at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, to totally. I think, yeah, I think this could be a really good deal for for Burks, um, and we'll right. get to that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, so I think the I think the weird part about the Burks for Corver swap, particularly you know if you're just talking about reallocating Alec Burks's fifteen point eight to Kyle Corver's fifteen point seven, is that Burks primarily plays two guards still. There there are times where he plays with two smaller guards and he's kind of the de facto three, but. Yeah. Um, but Corver, I, I don't know that at age 37 and with where he's at physically, you necessarily want him guarding a lot of twos. I mean, it, you know, it depends no. on who's out there. And, and I guess at a level, it doesn't matter because the Jazz do so much switch. You know, they um, obviously they do a lot of fourth quarter switching. Everybody does a lot of fourth quarter switching. But lately throughout the course of the game, they pretty much switch all wing to wing or guard to guard 
um, outside picks. So, you know, there are going to be nights where the Warriors run a screen and then Kyle Korver's guarding <laughs> Steph Curry. And, and, uh, and because of that, I think that's why I don't, I actually don't expect his minutes to go much higher than the 16. He's, he's playing currently right. in, uh, in Omeo, Omeo, Cleveland, Ohio. Right. No, I, I, I agree. They're going to have to be careful with that on the D. The defensive end is going to be a struggle. He was never a stopper. He is, I'm sure, less of a stopper now. He was a pretty good guy in the team defense concept. But nowadays, like you said, so many people are switching. Uh, we saw just last week, you know, LeBron was seeking out Alec Burks. Yeah. Um, the Jazz have done that to certain guys in the past as well. Uh, you know, so you, switch the, you switch and switch and switch until you get the matchup you want, and then you back it out and go at them. Um, there's going to be some of that, and that'll probably occasionally get him off the court. But when he's on the court, for whatever times they can manage to keep him on the court, he should help that that spacing, that offense, uh, to to a greater degree than Alec Burks was able to to spread the floor. Um, although he started off the season very well, I think you saw my stats last night. Uh, yeah. That he, he started out with these crazy percentages, and I'll try to grab them really fast, but. Um, he, he has not been able to hold those up. Uh, I know it was his, his three-point shooting was in the 50s, high 50s, and the last nine games it's been 21%. So well, well, it's, yeah. uh, While you look for that, I, I guess the point I would make there too is um, Alec Burks is still more slasher than shooter. Um, right. And, and the problem with the second unit, with, with the bench unit that the Jazz are running out there, is that it's pretty much a bunch of guys who are only slashers. So Dante Exum is a slasher not a shooter royce o'neill is a slasher he he can hit open you know open catch and shoots but he has been a little tentative on those um jay crowder can also shoot but lately hasn't been shooting well and then Derek favors is the big so you know putting corver in there i think it's just going to change a little bit the whole um you know even if it's just a little bit more real estate that instead of a body, you have some open space for favors to roll into or Exum to drive into, um, and and maybe that'll help Exum's finishing because right now he can get to the he can get to the lane almost just by wanting to, um, but there are too many bodies once he gets there because that that second mm-hmm. unit just doesn't have enough threats. Right, right, and, and you know I don't know how many times we hear or maybe even say ourselves, oh. Another missed layup from, for specifically Axum. There have been many, there have been many guys this year, uh, but uh, boy, Axum just he gets there, and it's so frustrating when he, when he can't finish him, and, uh, and and you want him to so bad because he he has that ability to get there, but you just got to get the result. And and I will say after having spoken with him last night, he is every bit as frustrated as as those watching the game are like, he wants those to go down in a, in a pretty bad way. And sure. And you know, he's, he's trying to work on that. But um, as he said to me, and, and as I've written recently, I think getting there is, is much harder than, than finish. You know what I mean? Like someone who can get there whenever he wants, eventually some of those shots will start to go down, but, but we digress. Right. So Alec Brooks is splits uh, the first eight games, 49%, 58% from three, 91% free throw shooting. And then he, the last nine games went to 36% overall shooting or two-point two shooting. I don't recall which number I pulled. 
Oof. from three and 81% free throw. I'm not worried about the free throw. 81% is still a good number. Yeah. But the other two, the other two numbers are just, you know, they, they dropped a huge chunk. Yeah. And granted, I never thought, nobody in their right mind thought he was going to keep shooting 58% from three. But to go to 21 off of that is, uh, is, is pretty bad for over a nine game sample. And at the same time, he also tripled his turnovers and doubled his personal fouls um, in a roughly the same size, an eight game sample versus a nine game sample. So he was doing some bad things and doing fewer good things. Well, and I think the, the stat that, that mattered the most, and it's not a stat, and there's no way to prove this other than just anecdotally, but I think the number of just boneheaded mistakes per game had gone up too, or per minute yeah. or per possession or whatever. And there were just there were just too many moments where you know where Quinn Snyder's left shaking his head and you know, I, I, I think um, how about how about the moments when those two guys in the Golden One Center in section one oh five row Q were shaking their heads last Sunday night when, uh, when let me think, the Kings tossed the ball into the backcourt. All that had to happen was the ball, let the ball go out of bounds or let a King pick it up, and it was the Jazz ball. And Alec went around and touched it and knocked it out of bounds. Well, he, I mean, like, it was almost out of bounds, and he dove for it, knowing that yeah, there was, like, a 50-50 shot. And, you know, that's the kind of thing. Like, um, yeah. And, and even when it's not something that's that, obviously just bad decision making just there have been more and more times where where he's gotten back to um his old ways of you you know the jazz value quick decision making so more than good decision making or bad decision like quinn snyder will live with bad outcomes to playing the right way like he's fine with that it's the reason why it's the reason why Ricky Rubio closed, closed the game last night despite shooting 0 for 9. Like, he doesn't care about outcomes, but he wants people to make quick decisions. And too often, you know, the ball will be out there moving around the perimeter. The Jazz will have it in blender. And then Alec Burks will catch it, take two dribbles, stop, think, drip, you know, back up. And you just you just ruined the offense. You just ruined any advantage you had created. And, and right. I, you know... I think Perks is a really skilled guy. I think he's going to go on and he's going to have a nice career and he's going to keep being a, a bench bucket getter and, and do some really nice things. I just don't know that it was ever going to happen in the Jazz's system, which is admittedly complex and admittedly um, you know, works on the basis of quick decision-making. And and you know, and by the way, that's something that Kyle Korver is, is pretty good at, even though he's not necessarily a facilitator. He's someone who gets the ball, makes a decision, does something with it, or gets rid of it. Yeah. Hey, that just reminded me, the first the first uh, ever Alec Burks versus the Utah Jazz game mm-hmm. will be that, that game that you were so excited to travel to. The, uh, the night before your birthday in Cleveland, how can it get any better than that? I mean, you know, if you can spend a couple of days in January in the industrial Northwest in the winter, or, you know, industrial Midwest, sorry, industrial Midwest, thanks. Um, I think pretty much that's a no brainer, right? Yeah. It's like, should we go, should we go to Hawaii or Key West or Cleveland and Detroit in early January? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's the, that's the state of things for, for Alec Burks right now. And it, and it's, 
you know, I think people's reaction to this trade, generally you could draw a line. The people who like this trade are the people who are frustrated with, with Alex slipping back into some of those old tendencies and looking like the player who has struggled with defense, who has struggled with decision-making, who has struggled with shot selection um, and consistency. And the people who hated this trade are the people who still think Alec Burks is, is really special and, and, you know, should be scoring 18 a game for the jazz or, or something, you know, like I don't, I don't want to misrepresent anyone else's point, but you know, that's basically where the lines are drawn on, on this trade analysis is, do you think Alec Burks is still a good basketball player or not? Right. And, and again, like you said, I mean, and, 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 and many people have said this already, but let's say it too. Also, props to Alec Burke. He's always been a professional with the Jazz. We've ne- we didn't we didn't have any things any of the stuff we've had, the noise we've had with some of the other former core five guys um, asking for trades publicly. Um, I guess it remains to be seen if he disses the Jazz at all once he's outside of Utah. But uh, you know he didn't go the Cantor route. Um, he didn't do any of that. If he did ask for a trade at all, he did so behind the scenes, um, and, uh, you know, he, he's always been, and, and the teammates seem that, you know, he's always been the positive guy, at least that that's that's what we hear, so teammates good won. for him. Yeah, teammates yeah. Um, which, which is funny, because I had heard in the past, I think partly from you, that he didn't always connect with his teammates, but maybe this new incarnation of the team, maybe, maybe that had changed a bit. Yeah, I th- I think it had. When I back when I was, you know, more often around the locker room back when I, you know, before I moved away from Salt Lake City, Alec did kind of keep to himself more in those days. Now again, that was a completely different version of the Jazz, right? It was a version right. with Dennis Cantor and with rookie Rudy Gobert logging only 500 minutes and Trey Burke was still around and Gordon Hayward was around and whatever. Um and, you know, he kept to himself. And if you asked him for an interview, he gave you the same one-sentence answers that he gives reporters right. today. But but apparently he's kind of clicked with some of these guys. And, and um, you know, they talk about him like he's been a really important presence in just keeping the mood light in the locker room. And, um, yeah, and you know, like that, part's, that part of it is tough. Like, you know, the Jazz talk about how they're built on chemistry and so you know you you do wonder about that thing about that part and, and you know that's not the only downside potential downside to this Corver deal but uh, but certainly you know that's that's a tough part when you have a group of guys that profess their love for one another and then you and then you remove a piece of that kind of like the when uh, the Jazz traded Ronnie Brewer and Darren Williams was pissed because he said hey that's my little brother why'd you why'd you trade that guy. Um, yeah. We'll have to see it if it has any impacts like that. Yeah. Well, from all from from all indications, and this is my perception, and also just things I've heard throughout the years and and in the last twenty four hours, Kyle Kober's a, a a dream in the locker room too. Oh, sure. So he's not sure. a guy. Um, now there's still chemistry isn't just being a dream. It's also interacting with this group of people. So I'm not saying it's hundred percent sure it's going to all work out, but I, I, I have every reason to think that it's not going to uh, disrupt things, especially if it, it helps for 15 minutes a game to open up the court a little bit. If it, if it adds a win or two here or there, it's happy people are, are going to get along just fine. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
the other the other I don't know if downside is too strong a word, but the other thing that you definitely do have to talk about is the fact that um, adding Corver does complicate the Jazz's summer spending. Um, he is under contract for next season. Now that they'll they'll save about four mil on this season on, on the difference between Burks and Corver's salary this season, but then next year he's got a. a a contract, a, a, a final year of his deal that is guaranteed at $3.4 million. So the Jazz can keep him. Um, at that point, he'll be 38, and they can keep him and keep spacing the floor for the bench unit, providing he can still stand up. Um, but come on, 38 isn't that old, right? Um, I think that, I think Kyle Kovac could shoot from a wheelchair. I'm not worried about standing up. Okay, well, that was a joke about me because I'm 38. But, um, but yes, yeah. No, I... So they can keep him at seven and a half million. They can cut him and pay him three point four million to, you know, quietly go into the night. Or they could wave and stretch him, in which case they'd only get about a one point one three million cap hit, but they'd get that cap hit for each of the next three seasons. So those are their options. And I I believe I saw you kinda opining that you think this is going to be a, a one-year stint, a, a 60 games of Kyle Korver experiment? That's what I opined when I first saw the trade. I still, I, I, I guess it will just depend. What I said after that was, I guess they have until July 7th to make that decision. So it's the same contract as as uh, Derek Favors and Hal Neto have, where the Jazz can go out and look at the free agents and then make their decision before they have to decide whether to cut favors meadow and and uh, Corver loose, so they have they have all the advantages in that situation um, because they they will be able to they'll, they'll know by the seventh presumably, and I think maybe Derek is a day earlier, and maybe Meadow is even a day earlier than that. Um, I don't have it up right now, but they they will know they'll have a good indication of if we cut these guys, do we have a place to put that money, or if not, then maybe we don't. Maybe we don't send a packing. Um, the other option with Culver is his contract could be value, could look valuable to another team that uh, you know in a trade. Oh sure. Where where you know the Jazz don't necessarily have to be the ones to waive him. They could trade him, and then the other team could waive him to drop four thousand four or four million in salary. Yeah. Yeah. So with all those different options, that's why I kind of think I lean that that might be where they land. Unless things are just going incredibly well, and they either they, they don't need that money for a free agent for whatever reason, either because they don't get a free agent or they don't need that particular 7.5 million worth of money for the free agent, they they woo and win. But I, you know, that that's that was my thought process last night. Got it. By the way, I looked it up while you were talking. Neto's guaranteed date is July 6th. Favors guarantee date is also July 6th. So, okay. and then Corver's is, is July 7th. Um, so the Jazz do have, you know, nearly a week of free agency to to read the tea leaves and, and see how conversations are going with other guys before they have to before they have to decide if they're bringing those three dudes back. I just think... well, generally generally won't even be tea leaves because generally, if it's a bigger free agent, you generally already have a commitment by July. 
let's say let's say before July fourth, usually. Well, I was gonna say, if, you know, if you know what I mean. I, well, I was gonna say, even if you're talking about a free agent who needs like some extra time to perfect the blog post, <laughs> um, even then, you usually know by the time the fireworks go off on Independence Day. <laughs> usually. Um, now, sometimes you thought you knew while you were barbecuing at noon. Then or you, at the Fourth of July breakfast, even. Then but, you unknew, and then you yes. and then you knew by the time firework. You know, just like yeah. I, like speaking in abstract very, here. Very hypothetical here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I don't know. I I tend to think that you that you spend a couple of picks to get a guy. I mean, not that not that the Jazz's twenty twenty pick and Washington's twenty twenty one pick are are probably going to be amazing assets, but I think you you spend a couple of picks to go get a guy if you think he's going to really help your bench unit, um, really change the way that defenses have to play you in those in those you know six seven eight minutes per half. And because of that, I bet that their default position going in is that they want to bring him back. But but obviously you know he has. 60 some odd games plus the playoffs to prove them right or prove them wrong or make them question that or you know prove that he can still shoot prove that he's running out of gas whatever whatever it is i mean the guy is 37 but but i i bet that the going in assumption is um you know among jazz brass is that they just made a two-year acquisition we'll see though yeah i think i think it'll just depend on more than anything what what the dollar figure is they need for any free agent they may or may not acquire in the first few days of July. If they swing for the fences and get somebody, you know, I'm not talking about the biggest, biggest guys, you know, they're not, I'm not expecting Kevin Durant, but the, the biggest names that the jazz, the jazz fans are generally talking about, if they need that money, then I think you don't say, oh, we can't get quite enough to get him because we, don't want to let Kyle Clover, thirty-eight years old, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that—that's probably what dictates it more than anything. For sure, I'm watching one of those guys on TV right now. By the way, in a in a battle of two Western Conference oh. powers, um, the the Sacramento Kings and the Los Angeles Clippers, and I and I'm watching Tobias Harris try to try to attack the Kings in the paint. Pulls up for a jumper, hit it. There you go, Tobias Harris, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm I'm joking, by the way, but who thought that we'd be sitting here at the quarter pole with the Los Angeles Clippers in the number one spot in the Western Conference and the Sacramento Kings sitting at 500 while the Rockets, Spurs, and Jazz are all trying to get back to 500? It's a weird year in the West. It is. Uh, well, all right. I mean, that pretty much covers the Corver trade, the the departure of Burks after nearly 400 games in a in a Jazz uniform. Um, which is what we really set out to talk about today. So uh, we can wrap this one up. We'll keep talking about um, how the Jazz are doing in their quest to to get back into the playoff picture in the West, um, how the Corver acquisition plays out on the court, um, and much, much more here at Salt City Hoops. Ken, thanks for joining. No problem. And uh, we'll be back soon. <laughs>